just so we get the proper perspective of the coming of Christ to which Jesus is referring in Matthew chapter 24, you know that in verse 15, Jesus speaking ahead of time to Jewish people who will be living in their homeland in that future period of time, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in your holy place, he's going back to Daniel 9, verse 27, which indicates that right in the middle of the future seven-year period we've come to call the tribulation period, Antichrist will take control of a new temple that Jews will have in Jerusalem by that time. He'll put a stop to the sacrifices and offerings that they've reinstituted that new temple. And then Jesus, in verse 21, indicates when Antichrist does that, sets himself up as God in that future temple, that will begin the unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history, the great tribulation. That again, in in verse 21, Jesus said, there's never been anything like it since creation. There'll never be anything like it again after this seven-year period of time. Then we noted yesterday in verse 29, he begins talking about what will take place immediately after the end of the Great Tribulation. First, there'll be great cosmic disturbances within the universe. He doesn't say how many days that will last. Then uh, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven. He doesn't say how long that will last. Then the tribes of the earth will mourn. And then finally, he comes uh, in, in verse 30, and he says that they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What I want you to see here, Jesus is very clearly talking about his second coming to the earth after the end of the Great Tribulation. In light of that, verse 31, he told the apostles something he will do when he does come out of heaven in his second coming after the Great Tribulation. He says, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, what I want to point out to you is, verse 31 of Matthew chapter 24 is the key verse that those who hold to the pre-wrath rapture view and those who hold to the post-tribulation rapture view use against a pre-tribulation rapture view. Because both the pre-wrath rapture view, which says that uh, the rapture will not take place until about three-fourths of the way through the seven-year period of time, and the post-tribulation rapture view that says that the rapture won't take place until uh, after the seven-year period, both of these views claim that the second coming of Christ and the rapture are the same event taking place at the same point in time in the future. And they insist that verse 31 is talking about the rapture. And they say, look, uh, Jesus indicated that takes place after the great tribulation when he comes out of heaven in the second coming. And so the the pre-wrath rapture view says that Jesus comes out of heaven at his second coming uh, between the sixth and seventh seal of the book of Revelation. And uh, that's when he raptures the church out of the world. And so that'll be about their way of thinking about five, five and a half years into the seven-year period. And so they claim the second coming and rapture are the same event, taking place at that point of time. 
Then the post-tribulation rapture view, it says that uh, the rapture takes place after the end of the seven-year tribulation period when Christ comes out of heaven. They insist that the second coming and the rapture are the same event, taking place at the same point in time. Now, on what grounds do they claim that verse 31 is talking about the rapture here that will take place in conjunction with Jesus' second coming? Well, they point out, doesn't Paul... Uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 indicate the, the rapture will take place with the blowing of the trump of God? Yes, it does. Paul did say that. They said, well, look, uh, Jesus talking here about a great trumpet being sounded as his elect are gathered from all over the world. And then they say in the New Testament, aren't the church saints called the elect of God? Yes, that's true. Well, notice Jesus says at his second coming after the great tribulation, with the sound of a great trumpet, his elect will be uh, gathered from all over the world. And so they say this has to be referring to the rapture, verse 31. And therefore, Jesus is indicating that the rapture will take place at his second coming, after the, uh, either, uh, well, after the end of the tribulation period. The pre-Rathew doesn't have the, the uh, great tribulation going the whole way through the seven-year period. The problem with that position of both the pre-wrath rapture view and the post-tribulation rapture view is they're overlooking the fact that every part of Jesus' statement in verse 31 is taken directly from Old Testament passages that relate exclusively to the nation of Israel and have nothing to do with the church whatsoever. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you and have you turn in your Bibles with me so you can see this uh, with your own eyes and everything point by point, the different parts of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, what does he mean by his elect, his elect? Well, it's very interesting that in the Old Testament, Israel is called God's elect. Turn, if you would, please, for example, to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4, where the Lord is speaking quite a bit about the people of Israel. And so in Isaiah 45 and verse 4, this is what we read. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. Notice that. Israel, my elect. So he's very clearly calling Israel his elect here in the Old Testament. Turn to a parallel passage, if you would, please. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we were taken to this passage in one of our earlier presentations by another speaker this week. Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, where Moses is saying to the people of Israel, you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The word translated chosen here is the same Hebrew word that was translated elect over in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4 we just read earlier. And so, uh, and these are just two passages out of many in the Bible what indicates that God elected the nation of Israel 
to have a very unique relationship with him in, uh, that he doesn't give to any other nation upon planet earth. So Israel in the Old Testament is God's elect, God's elect. Then Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 31 uh, said that uh, when he comes, he'll send forth his angels throughout the world. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the four winds. In other words, in all four directions. In light of that, turn, if you would, please, to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 5, and we want to look at verse 10. Ezekiel, chapter 5, and verse 10. God is speaking uh, to the generation of Jews of Ezekiel's day. Uh, They've been in rebellion against God, and as a result, they're they're going to come out of the judgment of God, the hand of the Babylonians. They were going to go into captivity and that type of thing. And in Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 10, look at the middle of the verse. God says, I will execute judgments in you. The whole remnant of you will I scatter into all the winds. Israel, I'm going to scatter you into all the winds. Now, Ezekiel said that uh, while he was a captive in Babylon. One of the Jews carried captive. He went in the second deportation of Jews over to the land of Babylon. Years later, notice what God said in the prophet Zechariah, next to the last book of the Old Testament. And we want to look at Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6. Where God says, ho, ho, come forth. Flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says the Lord. In Ezekiel, God said ahead of time, I'm going to scatter you into all the winds. Later on in Zechariah, he says, I have scattered you into the four winds, into the four winds. And Jesus in Matthew 24, 31 was saying at my second coming after the tribulation, my angels will gather together my elect from the four winds. From the four winds. Then Jesus, uh, went on, well, I'm sorry, I, I want to take you some other passages in light of that whole concept of they're being regathered, you know, from the, from the four directions. If you would please go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 which, by the way, is an incredible messianic passage. In the first five verses of Isaiah 11, God describes what Christ's government will be like while he's ruling over the world on behalf of God in the last millennium of our present planet Earth's history. And then, beginning around verse 6 and going through verse 9, he talks about how the animal realm will be greatly impacted by Christ's millennial reign, that once again all animals will be completely tame and vegetarian in diet again as they were before the fall of man took place and the curse of man's sin came upon the animal realm. But then look, if you would please, at verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathras and from Cush 
and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations. Now, an ensign is a banner. And the function of an ensign or a banner is to draw attention of people to itself. In fact, if you were to go back earlier, uh, God was indicating that he was going to take a descendant of Jesse and make him the ensign, referring to the Messiah. So the ensign here is referring to the Messiah. And the implication is that when Messiah is reigning, he's going to be like a banner that will draw the attention of people to him from all over the world. And God is saying here that when that happens, he's going to set his hand the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which will be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathras, from Cush, from uh, Elam, from uh, Shinar, from the earth, the, the, uh, all the different directions, Hamath, the islands of the sea. He shall set up an ensign for the nations, shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Again, from all four directions. He say when Messiah comes, the descendant of Jesse, and is set up as an ensign, all my people of Israel are going to be regathered from all the areas of the world, from all four directions, back toward their homeland. Then look at Isaiah chapter 43, if you would please. Isaiah chapter 43 and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. God again is speaking. Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6. He's speaking to Israel, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Again, indicating... I'm going to regather my people from all four directions back toward their homeland. All this was a foundation for Jesus saying in Matthew 24, 31, when I come after the end of the great tribulation, my second coming to the earth, my angels are going to regather my elect, my elect people of Israel from all four directions, from the four winds here upon planet earth. Then Jesus also said that they will be gathered from the utmost parts of heaven, from the utmost parts of heaven. Look, if you would, please, at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll look specifically at verses 3 through 5. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 through 5. The Lord your God will turn your captivity. In other words, Israel, would you repent to get right with me? The Lord your God will turn your captivity, have compassion upon you, will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of yours be driven out unto the utmost parts of heaven, from then, from there will the Lord your God gather you and from there will he fetch you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. Notice, even if you've been scattered to the utmost parts of heaven, God says to the people of Israel, I'm going to have you regathered. 
back to your homeland. And so Jesus in Matthew 24, 31 said, my angels will gather them together from the four winds from the utmost parts of heaven. Then Jesus in Matthew 24, 31 said, this regathering of his elect people of Israel from all four directions will take place in conjunction with the blowing of the great trumpet, the blowing of the great trumpet. In light of that, turn please to Isaiah chapter 27. Isaiah chapter 27, and we'll look at verses 12 and 13. Isaiah chapter 27, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. God says, when I regather my scattered people of Israel from all four directions back toward their homeland, there'll be the blowing of the great trumpet. This passage plus Matthew 24, 31 are the only two passages in the word of God that talk about the great trumpet, the great trumpet. So Matthew 24, 31 is based upon this passage right here in Isaiah chapter 27. Every part of Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, 31 is based upon these Old Testament passages that refer exclusively to the nation of Israel and not the church, being regathered from all four directions by Christ's holy angels when he comes in his second coming after the tribulation period. I want to read something to you very significant in conjunction with this. Jewish people around the world have a prayer book called the Jewish Daily Prayer Book. One of the prayers in that prayer book, from which I've been informed, they normally read in their synagogues on their New Year's Day, says this, quote, sound the great trumpet for our freedom. Lift up the ensign to gather our exiles and gather us from the four corners of the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who gatherest the banished ones of thy people Israel. End of quotation. That prayer is taken directly from these Old Testament passages we've just looked at upon which Jesus based his statement in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. It's the same concept. When God raises up Jesus, the Messiah, as the ensign, and the great trumpet is blown in conjunction with the second coming to the earth, his holy angels are going to regather the scattered people of Israel from everywhere around planet earth, from all four directions. Even if they've been scattered way out to the outmost parts of heaven, they're going to be regathered back to their homeland. He's not referring to the rapture of the church in Matthew 24, 31. And so he's not saying the rapture of the church will take place at his second coming to planet earth after the end of the great tribulation. And so, and again, as I've studied these other rapture views, that's really their key verse that they use to say, look, you pre-trib rapturists 
are way off base. Jesus is making it very clear here the rapture will take place at his second coming after the tribulation. But they're mistaken. These Old Testament passages indicate otherwise. Jesus was referring not to the church being raptured. He's referring to the people of Israel scattered around the world being regathered back toward their homeland for the setting up of God's future millennial kingdom here upon planet earth. Now, let me take you to another interesting part of Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, uh, which has often been misinterpreted, again, by very sincere Christians, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 32 to 34. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 to 34. Jesus, in verse 31, just talked about the angels regathering the elect Jews with the sound of a great trumpet. Now verse 32, he says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Truly I say to you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, some very fine Christians have claimed that when Jesus talks about the fig tree, he's talking about the nation of Israel and that the fig tree is a representative of the nation of Israel. And they claim that when Jesus talks about the fig tree putting forth its leaves, that's a reference to Israel being restored as a nation state to its homeland in 1948. You know, like new life coming to the nation, being restored to its homeland in 1948. And then they point out that Jesus was saying that when that happens, the generation that's alive, when Israel would be reborn in 1948, Jesus is saying that generation will still be here when he comes out of heaven in his second coming back to planet Earth. And so many have said that, and so they said, now let's see, how long is a generation? And originally some said, well, a generation is about 20 years. Okay, you add 20 to 1948, 1968, that means Christ is going to be back uh, here on the earth in the second coming by 1968. But then 1968 came and went, and Jesus wasn't here yet. And so then some said, well, we were mistaken. A generation is going to be more than 20 uh, it's going to be 40 years for a generation. So add 40 to 1948, Jesus will be back by 1988. And you may remember the book that was greatly circulated coming up to 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Be Back in 1988. And we're way beyond that time now, and, and he still hasn't come back. And now <laughs> uh, some are saying, well, a generation is 70 years. I just heard that recently. Some advocate it's 70 years. And so we've got to add 70 to 1948, and that's when Christ will be back here. Jesus, number one, is not talking here about the nation of Israel. Not in this context. And so the, the fig tree here, in his statement, is not a reference to the nation of Israel whatsoever. And the putting forth of its leaves is not a reference to Israel being restored as a nation state in 1948. And let me take you to a parallel passage Keep your finger here in Matthew 24, and look, if you would, please, at Luke 21. 
Luke chapter 21, and we'll begin with verse 29. Luke 21, beginning with verse 29. Luke is quoting the same teaching that Matthew did in Matthew 24, but Luke records some things that Matthew did not of Jesus' statement. Luke 21, look at verse 29. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Now notice, not just the fig tree, as in Matthew 24, but behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now near at hand. So likewise you, when you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is near at hand. Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now, if the fig tree putting forth its leaves in Matthew 24 is the nation of Israel and Israel being restored as the nation state in 1948, then what are all the other trees that Jesus referred to putting forth their leaves represent? Other nations being restored to homeland? That's not the concept at all. Jesus is not referring to Israel here at all as a a nation state. He's simply using an illustration from nature, an illustration from nature. And he's saying, when you look at the trees, whether it's a fig tree or any other trees, putting forth their leaves in the spring season, that tells you summer's near. Summer's near. It's a natural sign to you that we're heading toward the months of the summer season. So likewise you, now notice, when you see all these things plural, not one thing, the nation of Israel being restored, when you see all these things plural taking place, you know that this generation that sees those things will be here yet when I come in my second coming to rule the world. Now, what does he mean by all these things, plural? Well, everything Jesus already talked about earlier in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. In uh, around verses 5 through 8, he talks about the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs. Then in verse 15, well, even before verse 15, he talks about lawlessness spreading throughout the world. And uh, people... uh, that would normally have affection, like for loved ones, no longer having affection for loved ones because people are so desperate with all the horrendous things going on, they're desperate for food and everything else to survive, they're not even going to care about their loved ones. All they're concerned about is that I get what I need in these desperate conditions. Then he talks about false Christs are going to be here upon the face of the earth. And then he talks about the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation period that Antichrist will set up. And then he says, when that happens, those of you who are in Judah, flee as fast as you can to a wilderness area because then there's going to be such great tribulation such as never been in the past, ever will be again in all of world history. Those are all the things that Jesus says. What he's saying is the generation that is here when all those things of the future tribulation period are transpiring. That's the generation that'll still be here when I come back in my second coming after the great tribulation and set up God's kingdom rule. 
And that's the whole significance. So look at, get a lesson from nature. When you see the trees, not just the fig tree, but all the trees putting forth their leaves, you know from that, that's a sign that summer is near. And that, uh, so that when you see all these things I've been talking about, beginning of birth pangs, etc., and the Antichrist setting up his image in the temple, and Jews fleeing for their lives to the wilderness area, and the unparalleled, uh, unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history, when you see all those things, that tells you my coming is near. And this generation that's alive when all those things are taking place is the generation that will still be alive when I come out of heaven in my glorious second coming to set up God's kingdom rule here upon planet earth. And so again, uh, some very sincere believers have misinterpreted what Jesus was saying there about the fig tree putting forth its leaves. It's not referring to the nation of Israel at all and it being restored as a nation state in its homeland in 1948. So that, and you can't say it's the generation that was living when Israel was restored in 1948 is the generation that will still be here when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom after his second coming, after the end of the future great tribulation. It's the generation that will be here when those events of the tribulation are taking place that will still be here when Jesus comes in his second coming. By the way, the concept of birth pangs, he talks in verses 5 through 7, the beginning of birth pangs. That's a biblical concept. You go back in the Old Testament that talks about birth pangs. And what Jesus does is he divides the seven-year tribulation into two periods of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs. Uh, he's, he's using the analogy of a woman going through birth pangs about to give birth to deliver new life into the world. It's seen the ancient Jewish rabbis in their writings, based on, I take it, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, the ancient Jewish rabbis in their writings said, the last seven years before Messiah comes to rule the world will be an unparalleled period of time it will be characterized by birth pangs, by birth pangs. And they called those birth pangs the birth pangs of the Messiah, the birth pangs of the Messiah. The implication is that just as a woman has to go through a period of birth pangs, of suffering, to deliver a new life into the world, so planet Earth is going to have to go through a seven-year period of birth pangs before the new millennial age is born into the world when Messiah comes to set up his kingdom rule here upon planet Earth, here upon planet Earth. And just as a woman's cycle of birth pangs, there are the beginning birth pangs. And you ladies who give birth, you know that's no picnic at all. <laughs> that's painful. But those beginning birth pangs are rather mild in comparison to the hard labor birth pangs. And so Jesus is dividing Matthew 24, this seven-year period we call the tribulation, into two periods. The first three and a half years are the beginning of birth pangs, where there's going to be a lot of chaos going on in the world. But once Antichrist sets up his image in the temple and declares he's God there in Jerusalem, that will begin the hard labor birth pangs, the unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history, 
of unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history. And the idea of tribulation that's in the Bible, it has the idea of a person uh, being forced into a very constricted area. If you, if you have claustrophobia, you know what that would be like. If you're put in a very constricted area, but the idea is once you get in that constricted area, you can't change your mind and back out. You've got to go the whole way through that constricted area. And so you ladies, you know when you had those beginning birth pains, you didn't say, well, I'm changing my mind. I'm not going to go through with this. <laughs> Once those beginning birth pains begin, you're stuck in that. You've got to go the whole way through and suffer even the hard labor birth pains to get delivered from that. And that's the whole biblical concept. Once the seven-year tribulation period begins, the world is going to be constricted in the sense it's got to go the whole way through all seven years of that tribulation period. And the first three and a half will be rough, but those are only the beginning of birth pangs. The second half is horrendous, the likes of which has never been before, ever will be again. But just as, as a woman has to go through that to deliver a new life into the world, so planet Earth has to go through that seven years of suffering birth pangs before the new millennial age the golden age of all of world history since the, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden will be born into the world when Jesus comes out of heaven in his glorious second coming. Now what's interesting as well, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you know in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the rapture of the church out of the world, the rapture of the church out of the world. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he changes the subject from the rapture, to now begin talking about the future day of the Lord, the future day of the Lord. If you look at the day of the Lord concept throughout the Bible, the day of the Lord is always referring to times when God will intervene directly and supernaturally in the world events to accomplish his purpose. And there have been some uh, past days of the Lord where God's intervened directly in the world events to cause something to happen to suit his purposes. But the future day of the Lord uh, Paul says it's going to begin at the very same time that the unsaved are running around saying, we finally have peace, we finally have safety. We finally have peace, we finally have safety. And Paul says at the exact time they're saying that, they're going to get just the opposite. Sudden destruction is going to break in upon them, break in upon them. No forewarning. He said the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Any thief worth his salt is not going to send a forewarning to his intended victim. I'm not going to break in your house at a certain time and rob you. He depends upon the element of surprise. And so when the world thinks we finally have peace and safety, there's going to be no forewarning to them that they're going to get just the opposite. Suddenly, with no forewarning, the day of the Lord is going to break in upon them where God's wrath begins to be poured out upon the earth. Now what's intriguing, in our English translations say that, that Paul said that the day of the Lord will break in upon him like the birth pang singular of a woman. But in the Greek text, the word birth pang is, I'm sorry, birth pangs plural is the way uh, it's been translated for us. But in the Greek language, the word birth pang is singular. Which birth pang is it catches a woman by surprise. She doesn't know exactly when it's going to take place. The first one. 
Once she has that one, she knows there are more to come. Paul is thereby implying that the future day of the Lord, which I take it is at the very beginning of the future tribulation period, will begin with the very first birth bank, with the very first birth bank upon planet Earth. And, uh, and once that happens, the world's going to go through many more birth pangs. And once they get through the beginning ones in the first half of the tribulation period, then the whole world's going to have to go through the hard labor birth pangs, the unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history, the likes of which has never been in the past before or ever will be again. Paul, later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, having talked about God's wrath being poured out upon the unsaved, says to the church saints, we have not been appointed unto wrath. What wrath is he talking about? It's in the context of the future day of the Lord wrath, the tribulation period. And I take these saying that we church saints have not been appointed to that future day of the Lord wrath. And the implication is we're going to be removed from the earth by rapture before that breaks in upon the unsaved world. And this begins devastating the unsaved world. These are very significant truths that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 24 and that Paul was talking about there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as well.